The best way to learn a language? Immersion. Living where the language is spoken and using it every day. But if that's not in the cards this year, you can still learn a language the second best way. And that's with Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts and help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's designed by real people for real conversations, and their tips and tools are approachable, accessible, rooted in real-life situations, and delivered with conversation-based teaching, so you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription at babbel.com slash bluewire. That's 60% off at babbel.com slash bluewire, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash bluewire. Rules and restrictions apply. From your favorite source for Chicago White Sox talk, delivering news, interviews, analysis, and more. This is the Sox Machine Podcast with your hosts, Jim Margulis and Josh Nelson. Thanks, Rob, and welcome to a new episode of the Sox Machine Podcast. I'm Josh Nelson, and it's MLK Day, January 17th, 2022. This past Saturday on January 15th was the international signing period first day that Major League Baseball teams can sign players from various countries and at the youngest age of 16. We have referenced the book often in this podcast, but if you read Future Value, written by ESPN's Kylie McDaniel and Fangraphs' Eric Loggenhagen, you have an understanding how this market works and, honestly, just how every team is breaking the rules set by Major League Baseball and for some clubs, even breaking international laws to get the top prospects to sign. Which is why this year's international signing period could be its last, as Major League Baseball is seeking an international draft moving forward in a new CBA. There are some complications to get past with current laws in the United States, so it may not happen at the earliest until 2024. But for those in the know, an international draft is coming. This international signing period for the Chicago White Sox, they have a pool of $5,179,100. It is reported that they have an agreement with right-handed pitcher Angel Cruz from the Dominican Republic and also outfielder Eric Hernandez from the Dominican Republic. The marquee signing, however, is 23-year-old Oscar Colas from Cuba. Because he waited to sign to earn more money, the hype for Colas' signing has been more than a calendar year. It's reported that Colas' bonus will be $2.7 million, or 52% of the White Sox international budget. So what is Colas about? What is his scouting report? And when could White Sox fans possibly see Colas play in the States? Joining me is Phil Seelig from Cuba Dugout, a wonderful publication that covers Cuban baseball players to share his insight on the new White Sox prospect. And Phil, thank you so much for joining me on the Sox Machine podcast. 
Excellent. Thanks for uh, thanks for having me and for obviously having uh, interest in uh, in the Cuban connection to uh, to Chicago and to the White Sox. Yeah, because it's been a very lengthy uh, Cuban connection. And when it comes to international signings, uh, the White Sox really lean on the Cuban pipeline uh, to bring in new talent. And obviously it has been very successful for them. Signing Jose Abreu, signing Luis Robert, trading for Yohan Makata. Those guys are critical to the White Sox success in 2022 and beyond. And now here comes Oscar Colas, and you've been covering Colas now for a couple of years. For White Sox fans that are not familiar with your work at Cuba Dugout, can you provide a little bit more insight on the work that you do, not just about Colas, but for all Cuban ball players at Cuban Dugout? Yeah, absolutely. So I uh, pride myself as an expert on the on the subject and for the past decade have been trying to get to Cuba as often as I can. So I'm a photographer and a videographer and increasingly, I guess, becoming a, a writer out of necessity. And <laughs> so I uh, first started uh, visiting just uh, just for vacation, but uh, had the opportunity to take in some of the Cuban National Series games. And, and a lot of that actually intersects ultimately down the road with the with the White Sox for uh, Cienfuegos um, was my uh, was my gateway to uh, to Cuban baseball. And specifically, the first couple of times that I went, got to see a couple of players that uh, that you already mentioned and that are obviously big uh Big in, in Chicago in Jose Abreu and uh, Yohan Moncada and subsequent trips um, started to see more and more players and, and, and get an idea of, you know, what the future was going to provide and, and then started sharing uh, my content, connecting me with people there. So I touch on uh, that major league connection, but also the, uh, the game on the island itself, the history and, and all of the uh, diverse, uh, the diverse history of, of Cuban baseball overall. So for the jealous Americans listening to this, Phil is Canadian, so he can get into Cuba a lot easier than we can, unfortunately, still that continues to linger between the United States and Cuba. So just to follow up, when you got a chance to see Jose Abreu and Yohan Makata, looking back and when you were watching them in Cuba, are you surprised on how successful they've been in the major leagues or was it something that when you saw them in Cuba that, yeah, this guy's pretty special. Abreu I knew right away. Um, and, and also uh, with some of the, the friends that I'd made there and, and a few, um, a few locals that their English was really good. And I was blown away by their knowledge of the, uh, of kind of what was going on offshore for the sake of perceptions of what information comes and goes. And so uh, it also uh, indicated that uh, Yasiel Pui was, uh, was a player to watch. And now obviously he's had an up and down career, but at least for a period there, those, uh, those prognostications came true. So, so Abreu, I'd like to say 100%, he was, uh, he was doing otherworldly stuff while he was there. So I, I think it was just a matter of when does this guy get out? Moncada a little bit different in that he was, he was a lot younger. And so uh, if you look at uh, the window of when he played, there was a little bit smaller, but even then the fact that um, at, at points, it was a little bit harder for younger guys to get playing time. So um, to see him out there, you're like, all right, there's something here, but not necessarily that, uh, that uh, thinking that he'd be that lineage, but now seeing him play, I think the, I think there's still a high ceiling for him, even if uh, he hasn't met all of the lofty expectations, but um, I've, I've had a pretty good track record of seeing a number of players there and, and, kind of getting a feel that if this guy gets out uh then then, then absolutely he could be uh, could be a star in the future so what's the background on oscar Colas? you did an excellent video of him on your youtube page 
And I've watched it a few times because as you mentioned the video, there's not a lot of video footage Mm -hmm. often when it comes to Cuban prospects. So whatever little that you can see, you hold on to it. You watch it multiple times. I still remember watching Luis Robert running his 60 yard dash like 25 times and wondering just how fast am I watching this guy run down the base pass, timing it on my phone on the stopwatch and just how quickly he's running that 60 yard dash. But with Coloss, you, you see this highlight when he did play in Japan, hitting a home run in his first plate appearance uh, and the Nippon Baseball League. Can, can you provide more background for White Sox fans who are just getting familiar and who Oscar Colas is? Yeah, and so, I mean, that world is definitely opening up and and uh, just, I guess, um, in my own uh, travels and in my own documenting of this, I at first was always reluctant to use other materials. I always tried to stay with, with my own and do try and mix in quite a bit of that. But um, one of the things that as the internet has, has opened up on the island, we are seeing more of it. It's still, it's, it's not an exact science and, and especially for, for Colos who played in Santiago, which is in the, uh, the Eastern, uh, Eastern end of the island is, uh, kind of away from some of the media spotlight. And so there, there was quite a bit less, um, he did come up with, uh, with Santiago and, and play, um, I think he broke in as, as a 17 year old. And so, um, you know, there, there was some buzz. But that being said, there wasn't a huge amount coming out of him at that point before he was given the the opportunity uh, to go play in Japan. So we've seen more players kind of be granted that. Typically, they're a little bit more mature. And I, I, you know, I define them a lot of times as quadruple A players that get the opportunity to go over, make very good money, and then uh, and still bring it back to Cuba and, and, and actually pay uh, surprisingly less than one would expect to, to then be able to live a, a very good life. And, you know, a lot of times pump that back into the community. So uh, Kolos uh, being sent to Japan raised uh, eyebrows just from like, who is this kid? So uh, he spent quite a bit of time or his first couple of years in the uh, in the minors there. He did dabble a little bit with and I know what we'll touch on that a bit. Uh, so finally made his uh, big team um, debut with with SoftBank in uh, 2019. And it also it's no knock on him for the sake that SoftBank was a mini dynasty. I think they won four championships in five years and, and uh, backbone of that was a lot of the Cuban signings. So so over there, he was kind of stuck in a little bit of a roster log jam or else I think we would have seen him at that top level before. Uh, so did get to play a little bit at that level but as you say there's still not a huge amount but um you know everything around him is tantalizing uh how much of that is buzz um you know there are tools there make no mistake about it but there's there's a quite a bit of aura around him as well and so been trying to dispel that or 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 prove that uh, which i can and and uh, ultimately that only gets dispelled or proven if he finally makes to the show and and plays but uh, there's there's a lot to like but there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of mystique around it as well Yeah, let's get into the scouting report for Coloss. And I'll just share with you my biggest concern for Coloss. This is a long layoff for him. Very similar to what we saw with Yoki Cespedes, who just got to the States this past season. And we got a chance to see him, especially with the Birmingham Barons in AA. It sounds like his original plan when he declared that he wanted to sign with the major leagues was 2021. But as you mentioned in your video on YouTube, teams international signing period money was already tied up. Nobody had enough money to entice Colas to sign. So he wanted to wait a year. 
And now you got this whole CBA stuff going on. So there was a lot of questions of if the international signing period was going to move forward. And obviously it is because none of these players are being added straight to the 40 man roster. Uh, and then of course you have the whole COVID situation as well. When was the last time that Coloss played in a game? And do you know what he's been doing since to try to stay in playing shape? Yeah, so I, I do have to say I feel for the kid. His timing probably could not have been worse on, <laughs> on all of this. So um, the last time he would have played was towards the end of that season, which I think was September or October of 2019. And then I think um, he was supposed to come back and play in the national series, but didn't end up doing that, which was perhaps the first crack in the, uh, in the boat that he, he had other aspirations. So I think he declared that he wasn't going to be returning back to SoftBank in early 2020. Uh, so of course we, we know how the rest of that year went. And so if things had gone perfectly, there is a chance that he might've been able to sign in that 2020 period. Although I think that's still a little unrealistic for the sake that, that, as you, as you mentioned, a lot of times the, these bigger deals are kind of hashed out with a handshake deal well in advance. And so, you know, might've given the opportunity to then, if it had stuck with that original date of being kind of mid, uh, mid 2021. So as you say, there has been a, a considerable layoff there, but he has been working diligently in the Dominican Republic. So uh, kind of watching uh, his, his social media there, that one of the, the fears that he does or has seemed to assuage is there were concerns over his conditioning. Uh, he did have a little bit of baby fat um, when he was first performing there. And he's, he's shown at least he um, looks like he's, he's uh, toned up a little bit that way. And so, you know, that, that side of it um, in terms of actual game reps, obviously that's, that's missing. Um, I guess the only thing about it is that so many in this cohort and so many players around him are, are dealing with a similar scenario, except that again, he ended up even losing this year. So if some players kind of lost a season and a half, two years, we could be looking at three years without playing competitive baseball. So that is a major concern. And I think it, it does play into the Sox and sort of what their expectations are and what they might need to see out of him in terms of what level they start him at and how much kind of leeway they they give for him to to work some of the uh, the rust out while developing at the same time all right so into the scouting background of Colossus, let's talk about his offensive ability because we've seen the highlight videos there seems to be a tremendous amount of power from the left hand side of the plate from Colossus. and for white Sox fans we are very familiar on the organization's, I guess, hunger or thirst level for more left-handed power. This is a team that needs more power from the left-hand side of the plate. And thankfully, they have Yasmani Grandal. We talked about Mikata. We've already talked about how Mikata needs a hit for more power in 2022. And Gavin Sheets has flashed some power for the White Sox from the left-hand side of the plate. That's it <laughs> for the entire organization. That's all they got right now. So Coloss would be a shot in the arm. When you watch him at the plate, what are some things that you notice and maybe suggest that this could be a future major leaguer? I, I think his approach, at least in what I've seen so far, is a little bit more balanced. I know people want to fixate on the power, and, and I think that uh, the hope is that um, with the increase in conditioning and, and kind of as he matures, that'll be there. One of the things I've alluded to, or at least, like I said, in, in the video that I've compiled and, and seen 
is that right now it looks like he does actually have a, a good balance of going the other way and actually has some, some opposite field gap power. So the one thing that I hope he doesn't uh, sacrifice is just becoming too, a little too pull heavy for the sake of just that, that pure, uh, pure home run approach. Um, I, I made uh, kind of an, a comparison that I see some in his swing mechanic uh, of uh, Pablo Sandoval. And, hmm. and in approach as well, uh, unfortunately at that point in body type, but again, he, he does seem to have moved away from that. So that's one, uh, one thing that, uh, th that has improved more recently. Uh, I have seen some, some recent footage and it looks as if his finish is a little bit higher on the back end. And I was thinking about this before, uh, or thinking about this this morning. It's, it's looking a little bit more like a Yuli Gurriel finish. Uh, hmm. if you know how he kind of finishes high or, uh, with less of a pronounced swing, but a little bit more of a Fred McGriff kind of high finish, which wasn't there before. So if that means he's been changing his approach a little bit more to get more of that launch angle and, and focusing more on that power, uh, I am seeing a bit of that. All right. Well, that's, that's a really good observation because I am very much the drummer of ball in air for the Chicago White Sox, especially playing games at Guarantee Ray Field, one of the most home run friendly ballparks in major league baseball we'll continue the conversation with phil and about oscar Colas after a quick word from our sponsors we're driven by the search for better but when it comes to hiring the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all don't search match with indeed indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to indeed data and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. So that's the offensive side. Defensively, there's been a lot of talks, again, more than a calendar year, about Oscar Colas being a possible long-term right fielder for the Chicago White Sox. Where do you see Colas playing defensively when he does eventually end up in the United States and, and playing games in the minor leagues and hopefully one day in the major leagues? Yeah, so th there were quite a few reports saying he's got center field potential. I don't think that's the case. So um, he, he's not slow, but he's not completely fleet of foot. 
Uh, right field, I think, you know, there, there's a natural comparison to that just based on the arm. Um, you know, obviously, if, if the reports are he can pitch 95 miles per hour, he can also uncork, and we have seen some of that. I really think that uh, which corner spot is going to be dictated by organizational need if, if, if and when he does make it to the show. So, I mean, the, uh, the, the nerdgasm for a person like me that follows the game and, and having followed Yuelki uh, Cespedes as well, another player that, that I've tracked and, and actually uh, got to meet uh, a few times and see that the dream would be an outfield probably of Cespedes and Wright, uh, Rober, an, another player, again, that I tracked on the way through in center and, and Colos and left. Um, so, I mean, that, that's a dream scenario, but the reality is of those, uh, specifically of those two young players, the first one to get there and stick, you're going to put them where the need is and then see where, 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 you know, see where they kind of force your hand. But yeah, I, I could see, I think his arm plays to right field. Um, you know, I haven't looked into, um, I haven't looked into how the stadium plays in, uh, in Chicago as much, but I would assume that typically you do want a little bit more coverage, right? field. It's not like a Yankee stadium where it's like the rare field, where if you have a, a better, uh, you know, if you have someone that's going to cover more, more ground to put them in left field. So if it came down to those two players, I, I personally would think that Cespedes probably grades out as, as a more versatile and, and uh, right fielder, uh, and Colos would then defer to left. But again, that's uh, assuming so many things that, you know, how's the roster construction, but um, I think he could play, I think he can play either corner or he has played some time at first base as well. So. Oh, another first base type for the white Sox. Maybe <laughs> add them to the list. Uh, I, I'm glad you mentioned right field at Yankee stadium, because I always laugh like everyone grades Aaron judge as a very good defensive outfielder. When you're six feet, eight, you can stand on the warning track at Yankee stadium. <laughs> Any, you can look really good. Just got to come in or just stand and rob home runs. as They reach the wall uh, at Yankee stadium. All right. So the pitching ability, there have been some white Sox fans hoping that Colas could maybe be a two-way player, much like Shohei Otani. And I know last calendar year. So early 2021, there was a lot of hope and hype about that. Then we saw what Otani did in 2021 in the major leagues and maybe, okay, that could be a little, you know, far out there for Coloss, maybe not realistic because, you know, Otani just put up one of the most rare seasons ever in the history of major league baseball. When it comes to Colossus pitching ability, does he have staying power in the mound or was this just something that he liked pitching and he had a good arm and teams just gave him a shot? So, I mean, first to address there, there is obviously an ongoing debate whether that, uh, whether that title's fair. And, um, you know, that's one of the things that maybe two years ago, uh, obviously there was, there, there were parallels in the fact that he's coming out of Japan. And as you mentioned, even at that point, Otani wasn't Otani. So I think there's a level of just Otani becoming what he has that leaves that in the dust. Um, the other side of it is, I don't think the pitching thing is that real. Um, mm. And that might just be, for the sake that with this delay in timing, you know, um, how many, 
is there a team on the planet that knows how to develop that type of player? And I'm not even going to say that the angels do. I think that Otani's just that special, a type of player that, that he's kind of figured it out. So, um, you know, maybe a couple, maybe if he had been playing consistently during that time, you know, that there would have been the opportunity, perhaps if he had stayed in Japan, I, I never thought that it had that much in terms of, or, or I didn't think that the legs on it were that great uh, for the sake that even playing in Cuba, um, Cuba needs arms, you know, every, every baseball league needs arms, but Cuba really needs arms. And, and Santiago, uh, wasn't really experimenting with that. And they've shown, they've shown a little bit more of a, uh, a willingness to take a young pitcher and use them as, you know, as kind of, um, in that more of that, uh, major league style of just for one inning, two inning, where historically that wasn't the case. They, they, they typically rely, it's a little bit more throwback that they rely on. Um, they rely on veteran pitchers that you can time with a sundial, but, uh, go out there and, and kind of do whatever, whatever it takes. And, and, uh, sorry, just as, as an anecdote to that, I've seen playoff games recently. And, and, and the reason why I do love watching the Cuban game is guys that come in, give up five runs in the first inning you're like oh he's cooked he's still in there in the eighth and ends up winning the game six five so so it is a little bit throwback there and the fact but occasionally they will with some of these young arms and and more so the guys that they have farmed out to uh to japan give them that opportunity so when that didn't happen on the island i kind of looked and went uh i I don't know how much of that's there but by the same token it's sexy you know i've used Mm -hmm. the tag in in some videos not that i I typically play into the clickbait but at the same time it's, it's something that the organization might still explore, but it might be just something as simple as have them stand on the mound, uh, look at it, go, no, no, you're, you're working on the outfield just to make your path easier. So you never know in five years, the white Sox are down 10 to one in the eighth inning, maybe Colossus pitches for them because he's done it before and they need someone to save the bullpen. So maybe, maybe he could be the next Rick and keel. So, you know, (laughs) yeah, the, the reverse, the reverse Rick and keel. So, the biggest question for White Sox fans, when are we going to see Oscar Colas play in the States? Typically, they have to wait because oftentimes these players stay in the Dominican Republic for a year for tax purposes to save as much money as possible and then join the White Sox farm system the next year. If Colas follows that path, may not seem to 2023, However, there are some reports now coming from various sources, especially in the national publications, that maybe Coloss goes down a different path and he could join the farm system in 2022. Phil, based on what you know, when can White Sox fans possibly see Coloss? Yeah, so I recently did put an article out talking about some of those tax implications, and, and that's more on uneducated guessing in terms of we saw that with Norhe Vera last year, but the, the caveat on that is Norhe Vera was, uh, you know, a year or two younger. And so um, with a pitcher like that, you know, you can probably afford to stash him a little bit more. So that consideration is there. The fact that uh, even in the couple of days since, and, and as the signing comes closer to being official, that um, that narrative has changed a little bit tells me that that is a good sign for the faith that uh, that the Sox have in him. And especially, um, you know, I, I I know I'm probably preaching to the converted on this, you know, kind of uh, getting more immersed into the uh, into the White Sox realm through um, through the work that I've been doing that 
uh, second base and specifically right field are the two positions that Sox fans are clamoring for an upgrade in and, and, you know, discussing, is there, is there a signing there or could between assessments and, and Colos be there uh, sooner than later. So my instinct would tell me if he doesn't end up being uh, kind of stashed in the Dominican out of uh, consideration for that massive tax bill, not that that necessarily matters to the white Sox, obviously, but it could be a consideration, you know, um, looking out for the player and his best financial interest if you don't have a direct path or, or intention of pushing him through. So uh, if he does come stateside, my expectation is I think you would see a quick stop uh, as they've done with a number of players, quick stop at advanced A just to, to shake off some rust. Uh, promotion to double A if he lights it up there, um, you know, September call up at worst, but potentially later in the summer for a little bit of, a, of an audition. And uh, I think that's a, that's a very good path. But um, I wouldn't really expect to see him, you know, even getting a major opportunity to start in right field, maybe before 2023. All right. So who are some of the other top Cuban prospects? Cause when I'm looking at the top prospects that are signing in this international signing period, I'm seeing a lot of Cuban teenagers. And that's one question on how are they becoming eligible for this international signing period? Cause for the longest of time, if you sign a Cuban ball player, they're typically on the older side compared to their Dominican Republic counterparts, where these guys are being recruited at age 14. It's against the rules, but it is happening. Uh, and then they sign at age 16, where, you know, like Luis Robert signs at age 20. So that's a that's a four-year yeah. gap between a Cuban elite prospect and someone like Eloy Jimenez, who, who signs at 16 with the Chicago Cubs. So that's one question is how are these Cuban teenagers getting off the Island and signing this period? And who are some of the top Cuban prospects that we should be made aware of uh, that we could see in the major leagues in a few years? So the, uh, the players are leaving earlier. A lot of them are leaving at 14 or 15 and, and whether or not that's because they're not in the pipeline. Um, the positive, I guess, is that it does seem as if the, the human trafficking element has been largely pushed out. So the stories of, of Abreu and, and that exploit, exploitation, as far as I know, have been eliminated. Uh, there's still a level of hush-hush around it. Basically, the guys leave and, and, and the news comes out and then it's like, well, we didn't know he was even here. You know, <laughs> so there is, uh, there, there is a little bit of that. Um, I think players have the ability to buy their way out. Um, you know, it's all, all animals are created equal. Some are created a little bit more equal than others. And if you, if you know the right people, so that's why there is a, is a grander trend. Now that that's one, one brand of player versus we did see um, a massive, um, you know, rush of players that left this year uh, during the, the U23 WBSC tournament, which was in Mexico. So 12 players left at that point, which, um, you know, COVID's hit the Island hard. Uh, and, and so, and also, you know, players are, are, are getting wiser. They're seeing it. So at one point where, you know, there, there was probably more penalty for, for leaving, but there was also a greater sense of that, that pride to stay and play on the Island. Um, that's, that's dissolving a little bit. So it's unfortunate. Um, you know, if I look at it, cause 
I, I have probably a little bit of a different perspective. Make no mistake about it. I, I want to see every player succeed at the level that they can and make as much money as they can and, and within balance of keeping baseball healthy on the on the island as well. So that's why you'll see that I think Colos and and you know a couple other players that that signed here, uh, Cesar Prieto, who is the uh, the reigning batting champion, just signed with the Orioles. They represent uh, kind of guys that we're going to look at back in ten years and say we're a different breed. Whereas you know like a Christian Vaquero that that signed for I think the biggest bonus with the uh, with the Washington Nationals is a sixteen year old kid that that as you mentioned is closer to that previous Dominican model. And so there, there is a big sea change that, that is going on with there. That has definitely impacted the market for a lot of these players. Uh, Colas a little less so, though. I mean, at, at first, if he could have gotten out either when he first wanted to or kind of not in between cycles, probably would have gotten closer to, to maybe that four or five million dollars. So, um, you know, it, it just again, for Sox fans and sort of the lens that I view a lot of these signings through is value over necessarily pure prospect status, because this is not the Jose Abreu's. This is not the Luis Robers, at least on the surface. And by that, I mean, these aren't the kids that have five, 10 years of seasoning that you knew in a deeper league at that point, uh, we're, we're destroying it. It's just like, okay, this guy's going to make an easy transition. That being said, you're talking about incredibly talented players that have been playing at, you know, at higher levels against good competition since they were younger. Uh, but it's just, it's, it's the, these aren't the exact same type of player. So their path is a little bit different. And then the expectations have to change. That's why like we are seeing more of the guys parking in the minors a little bit longer, but relative to, uh, to what you spent on an Abreu or a Rover, uh, you know, so from that perspective of value for an organization, uh, is there's potential diamonds in the rough here. So it's just, it's trying to balance those, the, those two kind of uh, thoughts on, on, on a player and a prospect. And last question, I mentioned the intro. There is a lot of people, especially in the know that do believe that the next CBA, we're going to see an international draft. We're not going to see this type of international mm-hmm. signing periods because it exposes teams to great risk owners seemingly are unaware of what their baseball operations are doing, especially in the islands or in the Dominican Republic, getting these international prospects. And it puts the teams at risk, especially as far as breaking U.S. and international laws. When it comes to Cuba and the international draft, there are going to have to be some U.S. laws changed in order to make this happen. But let's say Major League Baseball is able to lobby that and they are able to get those changes. How do you think an international draft would impact as far as the Cuban baseball league and the baseball prospects and players that currently play in Cuba? So I think increasingly, so in 2018, obviously the announcement came that a deal had been reached before that was struck down due to, to some of the legalities there. So uh, there, there is a willingness. And I think though, it's more on the Cuban side at this point. Um, So, you know, MLB, I'm not going to get too deep into, uh, you know, let people make up their own decisions on their business practices, especially right now in the middle of a lockout. But 
the reality is that, uh, you know, they released a list of 30 players um, shortly after that announcement came through that that would be kind of available, similar to a Japanese posting system uh, that would have pumped a lot of dollars into the system. Now, uh, part of what derailed it as well is even though Cuba was saying the right things, that those would go to the organizations, to the baseball structure. How do you differentiate that between that and the and the and the military uh, and the military regimes? That was the bigger concern that every dollar funnels upwards, and I'm not saying that that's not a a fair concern and 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 not accurate. But um, so MLB is kind of having their cake and eating it too. So that list of 30 players, I think 26 of them have gotten out and signed in, into minor league systems. So those are all players that have left under the cloak of darkness, uh, not a dime going back into Cuba. Uh, depleting the system there and there and, and then the players didn't many of them didn't sign for for as big as they as we kind of alluded to so they might have and, and some of that is just the sheer volume of players that are in there so would the push for a draft change major leagues perspective that's what i would i would hope um so i i think the focus though would be more for the other the other islands and then maybe they would treat cuba differently because again it's kind of one of those wink wink nudge nudge um yeah we, we don't sign these guys but they all end up there uh so i i i the way i phrase it i think i put this the other day that that any soil if you don't cultivate it eventually stops yielding a crop so that's uh that's a concern probably more for me as a as a cuban baseball purist uh, than Major League Baseball, but they want to be very careful that they're almost uh, treating it like a strip mine and longer term, if you don't put something back into that system, are you going to see the, re the returns on uh, on those minerals? So, Well, you could read and watch videos of Phil's excellent work covering Cuban baseball at cubadugout.com. And you can follow him on Twitter at cubadugoutphil. I love this conversation Thank you so much for joining us in the Sox Machine podcast and chatting about Oscar Colas and Cuban baseball. Perfect. Thanks. Thanks for having me. And just uh, like I say, hopefully if we uh, get back to uh, the world being a little bit more regular in a baseball season, uh, hoping to uh, hoping to get to the, the Windy City soon and, and uh, do some meetups and, and uh, really follow up on a lot of uh, a lot of the Cuban players and bookend, you know, kind of seeing them from the beginning to where they are now. That will do it for this episode of the Sox Machine podcast. For the latest White Sox international signing activity, make sure to visit SoxMachine.com as Jim Margulis is recapping all of the moves. If you just discovered Sox Machine or have been a longtime lurker, we'd love to have you sign up for our Patreon. Our Patreon supporters receive exclusive content, ad-free versions of both the podcast and website, and the first opportunity to obtain our Sox Machine swag. We have plans starting at just $2 a month or $16 for an annual subscription and your Patreon support helps keep Sox Machine running daily. So thank you to our current supporters like Chris Kreb, who's been supporting us since February 2018 or new Patreon supporter Jim Clemens who signed up this past Friday. The Patreon site is at patreon.com slash Machine. Again, that's patreon.com slash Machine. The Sox Machine Podcast is a production of SoxMachine.com, your home for all things Chicago White Sox baseball and part of the Blue Wire Podcast Network. I'm Josh Nelson. Thanks for listening. This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working 
the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.